So here's a question for you. What are the spiritual disciplines? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not the case here, but if I were to ask that question in some other churches, all I would get in return is a blank stare. I, I would have to explain to them that Christians historically have recognized there are certain things we do or can do or should do on a regular basis that grows our faith. And we don't do those things in order to get God, uh, God's good side as though somehow in some manner we could manipulate him by that. Rather, we already have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And these spiritual disciplines help that relationship to flourish. And as a matter of clarification, we might add that God wants to reveal himself to us, that he is always the same, that he's always there for us. The problem is not with him, it's with us. And yet by doing those things, we are putting ourselves in a place where we can know more of that God who wants to reveal himself to us. And that's a really good thing, right? And if I were to ask you here, what those spiritual disciplines are, you would almost certainly mention the importance of being part of a local expression of the body of Christ. At least I hope you would. We spent so much time in the previous year talking about that. You might have to explain that to some people by telling them they need to be in church because God does certain things in a person's heart if they're open to him. They're in church that almost don't happen any where else? Church is certainly an important part of growing in your faith. And you would also, if you thought about it, put worship on that list, right? I mean, you might not mention it because worship ought to happen in the church, of course, and it does. But church is not the only place where one may worship. It can happen uh, when you walk down the beach or driving down the interstate. You turn your heart outward to God in a kind of a, of a reckless abandonment of yourself. And in the process, you learn something more about God and your relationship with him grows. And I'm glad to say that in this church, we would list fellowship as one of those disciplines because we recognize its importance. Now, did you know that until the Lord of the Rings movies came out, Fellowship was an unpopular world in the secular, uh, word in the secular culture. It, it, was, see, it was only a word that Christians used, and it wasn't understood by others, and it was strange to them, and so they didn't like it. But the Fellowship of the Ring helped people to get it, sharing a common life, pursuing a common task, carrying one another's burdens and sharing in their joys. And fellowship became appealing and for us, it's all part of living the Christian life. We aren't lone rangers. We're part of a family, a real family, an eternal family. And our list would include the Bible, reading it, studying it, meditating upon it, saturating ourselves with it, trying to understand it, filling our hearts and minds with it so that that word dwells inside of us. It's God's word given to us as a light and a lamp. Its pages reveal to us the many facets and attributes of God. It reveals, well, let's admit it, the rather ugly truth about ourselves, that we are sinners by our very nature. 
but it also exposes the world around us as it really is. The Bible rips off the facade while it also explains the spiritual battle that we all are a part of. And that too makes us more aware of God and who he really is. And all of that brings us to prayer, (laughs) which may very well be the spiritual discipline that we struggle with the most, meaning it is often the hardest one for us to practice on a regular basis. Or put another way, it's the easiest to let slide when our schedules are so full. Probably all of us here find ourselves praying when when uh, we're in trouble of some kind. And many of us have learned uh, to give thanks when we've experienced one of God's many blessings in our life. But prayer, which is sustained by faith, which is an expression of faith, that prayer, which is a coming alongside of Jesus in Gethsemane, that's a, a wrestling for the sake of others, a prayer that is an assault on the darkness and advances the cause of our God, well, that's harder to come by. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next many weeks. That kind of prayer. Prayer in general. For the last couple of years, anyway, I've had a longing, uh, a leading of the Spirit, to talk with you about prayer. And in the sketches in my mind of where we would go in our studies together, I saw this topic occupying a part of next year. But it turns out, I've come to the conclusion that God had a different timing in mind, and so here we are. I don't know how long we'll be here either, I have to tell you that. There's so much to say about it, but whether we will take a piece or two now and come back at a later date and finish up, or, or take the whole thing in one series, I don't know for sure. I think I know. I think we're starting now, and we'll continue to the end if there is such a thing as an end but it's in my heart that God is going to lead us at his own pace. Now, we all confess prayer is an important topic. It's not an easy one because many people, I think many people even in this room, feel a certain amount of guilt when it comes to the prayer life. And that, I think, we can to a great extent overturn. We can alleviate that. But until then, I think many will flinch at the topic. But there are others who are confused about how prayer works, and they wonder if it even really does. And then there's kind of a subset here of people that think that things are already determined. So what difference can prayer make anyway? And those are hurdles that kind of have to be overcome. And still others have come to think of it, of prayer, Uh, only in terms of a kind of a spiritual exercise that matters just in the development of the Christian's character. And they, too, in reality, think it has no effect in our world. And that is not only untrue, but it is debilitating, and it needs to be rebutted. From my perspective, the topic's difficult because I didn't know where to start. I mean, there is so much to talk about. And where we are starting <laughs> is not at all where I thought we would begin. But now that we're here, I, I can see the sense of it. And, and it's difficult for me, too, because I, too, have my struggles when it comes to prayer. I, I've, I've grown over the years 
but I don't have it nailed. I wish I did. All that I can tell you is that I just keep at it. And the more successful I am at some times and other times I'm not, but I just keep at it. So, so we're going to make this journey together. And by God's grace, we're going to grow together. And in the process, we will grow in our relationship to God. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention before we turn to our text today. And today's message is going to be rather short because of communion. But some of you are sitting there and you're wondering if maybe I, uh, I had forgotten the spiritual discipline of fasting. Well, I didn't want to scare you away. But in reality, I think that fasting is part of the discipline of prayer. And so we will talk about that, too, by God's grace and leading in its right place. So now, with all of that as a kind of an introduction, I would invite you to join me, if you would, in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. Or you can follow along on the screen as the verses is displayed there. We find ourselves here uh, in Matthew in the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at today, I mean, we'll, we'll continue and finish at a later time, but, but today we're going to consider one small portion of what comes from uh, that part of the Scripture that is sometimes referred to as the Our Father, and others refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, and still others as the Disciples' Prayer, meaning it's the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And maybe the most accurate summary or description would be to say it is an example of prayer which Jesus gave to the church. And verse 9 begins this way. This then is how you should pray. That's the NIV. The English Standard Version says, pray then like this. And the New American Standard, pray then in this way. It's not a mindless repetition. Before he gives that prayer, Jesus tells us a little earlier in the text that we're not going to look at today, that it's, we, he's not interested in any kind of vain repetition. But then no prayer should be mindless. Jesus also isn't telling us here to use these exact words. He himself doesn't when he repeats the prayer under different circumstances in Luke. What we have here is a kind of model which can help us to learn to pray, which, if understood correctly, I think can encourage us in our prayers. And yet that very next word in verse 9, I think is so instructive and surprising, too, or it would be if you weren't so familiar with this. It's that little three-letter word, our that stands out to me. In fact, all through this prayer, we have the plural used over and over again. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us. Some people take this to mean that the prayer is intended to be prayed corporately in the church or a group setting. And, and most certainly it can be used that way for many churches. It's part of the regular Sunday morning worship. But there's no one I know of, no denomination or group that restricts it in that manner. And from the very beginning, it has been prayed by individuals in their private devotions. 
And we do so when we pray it without changing the pronouns to the singular. We don't say my uh, God or my daily bread when we pray it. We keep the plural. And why? What does it mean? What's the significance when in my devotions or driving down the highway in the car of me saying our or us when I pray that prayer? Well, first, I think it's a reminder that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of the church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are not lone rangers. We belong. (laughs) We are in the inside. We're not one of these on the outside looking in. We're accepted. We are we. (laughs) That we would invite every single human being to join us if they would. All could come in if they would. And we're not alone. Our numbers are in the millions. And we span through the centuries. And we will be for all eternity. We are part of something greater than ourselves, which is even reflected in the way that we pray. And then, too, whenever we pray for ourselves, we ought to be mindful that we are praying for others, too, as we pray. When, when I pray for my, our, our daily bread, I'm not just asking for myself. I'm asking for my brothers and sisters, and they will also have their portion of their daily need met every day. I remember my grandmother, she's a wonderful Christian lady, has such a great impact on her family and the people around her and her community. Uh, she, she was saying to me that she prayed for me and my brother all the time. And when she did, she often added these words, and Lord, not just my Larry and my Robert, but all the Larrys and Roberts out there. Uh, she didn't know who they were. She didn't know their names. She didn't know where they lived But she knew there were other grandmothers and other Christians out there who had loved ones that they were praying for too. And she instinctively added her prayers to theirs. That doesn't make sense from the world's perspective. But God knows. And our little selves and our little words and our little amount of knowledge is directed to an infinite God. And he hears and he answers prayer. When I'm praying for something for myself, I often remember some other person that has that similar need. And I pray for them. You see, it's part of belonging to something that's bigger than ourselves. And that hour, it it points to a spiritual truth which is expressed more clearly in other places that there's an accumulative effect of the prayer of God's people. And, And that's true even over time. In the book of the Revelation, we have this poetic description of the prayers of the saints, which is spread out over time, being collected in a group and going up as incense before the throne of God. And those prayers taken together alter eternity. And yet that power of cumulative prayer is not reserved just for those last days. One person praying is a powerful thing. But when the people of God unite in prayer, the kingdom of darkness trembles today and any day when Christians gather to pray. 
Peter was in prison facing death and the disciples were praying and he was set miraculously free and, and they almost didn't have enough faith to believe he was there. And yet God saw their prayers, heard their prayers, and they answered them. The disciples gathered in the upper room praying, and on more than one occasion, the house was shaken and the world was turned upside down. See, more is going on when we pray than we would ever know if it weren't revealed to us in the Scripture. I said this before about coming to the church. We come to church. We think we're going to come here. We're going to offer a little bit of praise to God and hear his word. And God is at work in us, doing things in us that we aren't even aware of. He is uniting us together into a temple where his spirit lives. And when we pray, things are happening inside of us that we wouldn't be aware of otherwise. When we begin to grasp the truth of the hour, it changes how we think about prayer. The hour matters. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And then the very next word in verse 9 is just as amazing and powerful and wonderful. Father, (laughs) our Father. We truly are a family. Uh, And yet, more than that, Almighty God is our Father. He's our Father and all that that means. Which we take for granted so. Yeah, I remember um, being a really small child and I was riding in the back seat uh, of the family car and Dad was driving and Mom, as mothers are often want to do, was warning him to be careful. <laughs> and I remember I was sitting there I was thinking, that's my dad. He's got this. Everything is going to be okay. You know, I thought my father was the biggest, strongest, most wonderful man in the whole world. He's only five foot seven. <laughs> and really, how strong could he be? I know that now. I know he's just a man. He's a sinner like all the rest of us, but I still think he's pretty wonderful. And in another way, he is big because I still have to look up to him and he's strong in character and that matters much more than physical strength and for those of us who have had or, or have now a dad like that well, well it says a lot to us it helps us it's a sad thing to me that not everyone has had a good experience with the fathers of this world there are those that don't know their father they may not even know who their father is there are those whose father has left them. For no good reason, or, or any reason that seems good to the child from his perspective or her perspective, or, or from the point of, mor- uh, of the morality even. And as well, there are those whose father was m- little more than a monster that haunted their waking hours. That's the result of sin in our world. Such is the fruit of the fall born in this world, turning men away from their children. There are far too many people who don't know what it's like to have a good father. But one thing I can tell you, everyone deep down in their souls wants to have a good father. And God will fill that void in their life for anyone who calls on him. That's how good he is. What we might miss in this world, he more than makes up for. What does it mean to have God as a father? All of us who have had fathers, 
we've seen something. We know we failed. I'm a father. I failed. I know that failure. I know that the best of the best missed the mark. I have. But if you know a good man who's a good father, even if he isn't your father, you have a leg up on your understanding, but I'm going to tell you the heart already knows and the scriptures describe God and our inner person resonates with God's word on that matter like a tuning fork vibrates when its note is played. Matthew Henry points out that calling God our Father is an unspeakable privilege and our Father will, according to the scriptures, pity us in our weakness and infirmities. He will spare us because he's our Father, not because we deserve it. He will make the best of our deeds, though those deeds be very defective indeed. And every small step in the right direction pleases him and he will deny us nothing that is good for us. We can add to that the truth of uh, our, he- our heavenly Father will never leave us and never forsake us. He is faithful forever. He is not going away. He is drawing us to himself. He will continue the good work that he has begun in us, not stopping until we are face to face with him and his image, the image of his Son, will be restored in us. He gives us good gifts and and his plans for us are for good, for our eternal good. And he doesn't change like some shifting shadow. He is the rock who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him there is no darkness. He is light. He is not even tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. He is pure and good and holy and upright. And he loves us with a never-ending love. He is our Father. And the heart of every human being cries out for what he is, whether they understand that or not. And that's who we pray to. Finally this morning, we want to understand that our Father, the God that we pray to, is in heaven. God is above all. He's high and lifted up. His greatness no one can fathom. At his name the inhabitants of heaven fall down and worship. He is almighty, all holy, all loving, all knowing and wise, ever present and completely faithful. There is no God beside him. There is none like him at all. There is no power greater than his. Every other power is a mere shadow of his, mattering less than There's dust on the scale. He's the creator, and everything that exists exists because he made it. And it continues to exist only because he sustains it by the power of his word. Even the evil in this world is but a corruption and a twisting of the good which God made in his goodness. Evil can't even exist on its own. It's nothing but a parasite on God's good creation and our God will one day put an end to all evil and that's not just a small thing to him he can do that with the the snap of his fingers but his his goodness he's chosen to do something harder he's chosen to redeem us and to redeem people out of evil to take a people for himself at whatever cost to himself and so Jesus came 
and he went to the cross. That's our God. That's how great he is. Scripture tells us he stoops down to look upon the heavens and the earth. That he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And the Bible states, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God dwells with us, and yet he's also in heaven. And because he's in heaven, he can help those who are on earth. That's what we pray to him. And we pray not in vain, but in hope. We pray with confidence, not in us, in him. To him we turn. God who's in heaven, above all, greater than anything we ever face, though we ourselves may be overwhelmed, he is not. Our God who is our Father and loves us with a love that never fails. Our God that makes us part of something bigger than ourselves. He makes us one family spread out over time to live through all eternity with him. Knowing that, I think, I'm sure, it matters to how we pray. Understanding that truth matters to you and to me. I'd like to ask you to do something with me right now. Something that we don't usually do here. I'm going to ask you to stand up, if you would, please. And I would like us to pray together with a reverent heart, the Lord's Prayer, or the Disciples' Prayer. I, I, I would like to ask just one thing, if you would, please, so that we can kind of try to stay on the same page. Uh, I'd like it when we get to that part uh, where we ask for forgiveness to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Would you pray that prayer with me now, please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much. Would you please be seated? Uh, it, it is really an incredible privilege that we have to be able to come into the presence of God. <clears throat> 